Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome to the Magia Mindset. Today's guest has played for one of the most prestigious women's soccer program around in the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Has represented the U.S. national team. Has also played professionally in the NWSL. Has played professionally in Sweden. Currently has developed the app Techni Football to help enhance and develop our beautiful game. It is my pleasure to welcome our guest, Yale Averbach. Roll the intro. All right, Yael, thank you so much for putting in the time to join us. I know it's truly busy in, um, in the world that we live in today. I mean, it has been a unique time. So I, again, I appreciate you putting in the time. I know in your schedule, what, what you have going on, it's been chaotic as well. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Can always find time for a good uh, soccer conversation. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much. So what I wanted to get into right off the bat was how did you fall uh, in love with the game? What was it the, the first moment that you're like, you know what, there's something in it for me? It Was it you? Was it your family? How was it that got you all going in this sport? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I look back, I'm not sure it really makes sense. So I've tried to pinpoint this to myself. Um, I started playing just because my friend in school played. Um, but in general, my personality is when I start something, I usually get go all in. I don't just do a lot of activities. So I think because of that, I was probably primed to fall in love with it. Um, and then I remember right off the bat, really enjoying myself and kind of realizing I had a knack for it. And I do think the thing that really um, kind of got me hooked was I had a, a number of very good coaches and mentors from an early age who showed me things and like worked with me individually and they would show me something to practice and then I would go home and practice it on my own. And I think that process of learning to juggle or strike the ball properly, like I have an obsessive personality, so I was all in and it became so fun to me to try to break my my record or whatever it was. So I think um, from that point on, really, there was no stopping me or no pushing me to do anything else besides play. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And what I wanted to get into next was kind of the university you played for. And I think the university you played for, especially on the female side, you can put it alongside any professional team, any, any program with the players that's gone through and out in the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, and for the coach you played for. I want to talk about the environment first. The, the years you spent there, how was the environment? What was it that you're like, man, I was obsessive. I was going at this like this. These are the things that are actually making me become better. If you can go and dissect the, the Tar Heel environment a little bit. Yeah, you know, I think it's like, there's a couple of things about it. Everybody kind of knows about the competitive aspect of, of it there. And, um, and it's called the competitive cauldron. It's like a very uh, historic aspect of the program and the culture. And basically everything you do is ranked. 
So literally every, every time you take a shot, did you score? Did you, was it on target? Was it off target? Like, was it saved? Anything that happens in training is ranked. So uh, from that, not only are you constantly under pressure to be your very best, which um, makes everyone improve, but also there's an aspect of honesty and awareness. Like you can't hide from anything. If you're bad at heading, you know, you're bad at heading and you know how bad, if you're not one of the fastest on the team, you know, where like, you're literally the 13th fastest on the team. It's not just like, Oh, I think there are players faster. You actually know. So I think because of that honesty and the competitiveness, it's, it's actually pretty freeing as a player because it's all laid out there. You know exactly what you need to improve on and you actually know as you're doing it, if you're improving. So, um, I mean, because of how I am and how I like to track things, I, I, I loved it. It also though is very stressful. And I think, you know, it, it's a good stress because it's a competitive stress of improving yourself and, knowing always where you rank and if you're at the top trying to stay at the top um but it's certainly um the, the competitiveness within the team makes game day feel kind of like a breeze because that's when like it's almost even the competition against your opponent is never as stressful or as intense as against your own teammates can we um that's fantastic can we kind of dissect what you mean by everything's recorded for example if i never knew about the Tar Heel background, what that competitiveness is, the ranking system. What is it like if we can go into the locker room? Is it something that it's every single day the coaching staff creates spreadsheets on? You see your name there. Is it labeled in your locker? What is it that, uh, if we can dissect the ranking to be specific? So I'm not sure how it's evolved since I was there with technology and stuff, but probably it's pretty similar because I think the program in some ways is really... uh, old school in a good way and like you know things are literally a thumbtack up on a, a board at the field so when I played there uh when we went to the training field every couple days or so the, the new rankings were posted in various drills that we had done recently and they'd be literally thumbtacked on a little bulletin board enclosing glass in case it rained at the field so you could go look or not uh you know you could ignore it if you wanted until you had an evaluation with the coach or something but most players you know if there's a ranking you're going to want to look uh so basically there would be all these sheets and then maybe on each sheet there was a drill or two so it would be something like our physical testing like the speed and vertical jump and all that then maybe another one would be like small-sided games anytime you won lost drew throughout the whole season uh your shooting percentage penalty kicks um i can't even think of all the things heading ranking 1v1s all of it so if we had done 1v1s the day before maybe the next day the new rankings would be posted so you show up at training you kind of check the new rankings again or not and then the really the full um they would call it a competitive matrix so the the compilation of all these scores a couple times each season would be distributed to the players so you'd literally get a little packet of all of your rankings and everything but then the overall ranking uh, so you would see all of these stats combined and where you rank and then you know the coaches would kind of talk us through it so you there's uh, at that point, there's no avoiding it. So you'd literally be handed the paper and everyone else would see too. And you see, you know, one through 30 players on the roster where you rank in the combined scores. Wow. I mean, you know, I think when you say it's one thing, but when we go into the behind the scenes and see it actually, the amount of work that coaching staff does. And I, and I want to uh, now transition to the leader behind it, you know, the Anson Dorrance, uh, you know, there's, I know there's a lot of books, there's a lot of interviews he'd done and we see it from the outside. I want Yale's perspective of it. When you were there for your years, 
you know, your relationship with it? And what was it that you're like, you know what, I'm never going to forget these moments. I'm never, never, these coaching, if I ever become a coach, if I ever became a coach, these were the things that I'm like, you know what, it never got outdated from this time to this time Anson was coaching. These things really stood out. Was it the tactician, the man manager? What was it that really, in your perspective, stood out? Yeah, you know, well, first, I do have to say that, um, I mean, Anson certainly is the the personality behind this all. Uh, but when it comes to the actual competitive system and stuff, the the, um, the team admin Tom Sander is mm. like responsible for all of that. So he's kind of the brains behind setting mm. this all up. Uh, but you know, Anson, it's really interesting to think about. Anson has basically set up a system that works on its own. Like anybody could run his practice sessions or copy his formation. He lays it all out there. It's all set. It's kind of when I was there, it was the same every year. You know, every Tuesday we're doing this, every Wednesday you're doing this. And it's very formulaic. But at the same time, like there were a couple of training sessions throughout the year where Anson wasn't there and or he showed up a little late. And when his car pulled into the parking lot, everything changes. Uh, And I think that was indicative to me of like the power he has just because of who he is. Um, And it's really interesting, too, because and these are kind of the things that come to mind about Anson is that uh, the program is is about winning. It's about dominating, being number one on the list, number beating your opponent by as many goals as you can score. But that was almost never really talked about. It was always kind of like the humanity part of it is like being a good, respectful, classy person, being a hard worker, a good teammate, um, who was, you know, players who were, who almost never played and were on the bench were acknowledged because of aspects of their character and how hard they were working. And it was always kind of that first and foremost, which you would think is strange because it's like, you would expect it's a win at all costs mentality, like do whatever it takes, cheat, anything like that, like just, just win and never, never, never. It was all about honor, uh, class, character, being grateful. And so it's a really interesting thing because it's not what you would expect from a program who has a record like that. Um, but Anton himself, I think is just such a phenomenal leader. Like when he speaks, when he's standing there, he commands such a presence and such a respect that you want to play well because Anson's watching. You want to hear what he has to say, even if it's just a little side comment. And um, quite simply, he he makes the sport about more than just what you're about to do on the field. So I think it's just, it's really moving and motivational. And these were things that I I didn't really quite appreciate until I left, I think, because uh, he's tough to play for. He's, he's very blunt, very honest. He can be mean because um, te- he tells you how he sees it. But at the same time, there's always that underlying fact that you know he really cares about you and that when it comes down to it, human to human, he would do anything for his players. He genuinely loves them all and vice versa. You know, Anson, he's a family man. He's a, a real person who's trying to create other really good human beings so it's a very interesting uh team dynamic that he creates it's so great that you you kind of went into the family man how is not only anson behind it i've i even when we had um conversation um with tony studwick about sir alex ferguson it wasn't only him. It was the organization, the staff behind it, the players behind it. Everybody's a collective. And some people don't realize they're like, man, that one player is special. That one coach is special. 
it takes a collective unit to complement each other and everything got to fall into place. So thank you so much for elaborating on that. I want to kind of now, one of the main things of our podcast we discuss is the mentality portion. And I think it's so, 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 so important um, within this game where, yes, talent's good. You got to be born. You got to have certain things. Yes. But I actually think if you're not born with certain things, if you have the right mindset, you can get there. You can get to that highest level, that determination, those underlying things. And Yale, you've played at the U.S. national team level. You've played at the highest level for women's soccer at the professional level. You played at the highest level in collegiate, collegiately at UNC. What are it with the players you've been surrounded with, with the coaching staff you've been surrounded with, that makes them elite? You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm reading a book on elite people, but I'm only opening that book up. But when you're around them, you really see as a human being that, hey, one, he's, he's human. But two, these are the things that you're like, it's making me become better because you're surrounded with that. If we can kind of go into yeah. those. Yeah. So um, a lot of thoughts come to mind when you say this. And I do think, you know, no matter what uh, aptitude you're born with, whether you're a little bit ahead of someone else or not, it really is about like the things you do and who you are. I think that makes you great at something or just talented, but just never kind of solidify your, your greatness. And actually this comes from Anton Dorrance. Uh, he had done, read something or read a study at one point, And I think this is such a good analysis of what you're asking. Uh, what he read and he shared with us, and these are the kind of lessons Anson would teach too. So it gives a good sense of, um, is that all people who are at the top of their field, like the most successful people in the world, embody these three characteristics and they're competitive fire, discipline, and self-belief. And, and they embody some combination of being really high in all, all of those categories. So being competitive, not just like to want to beat other people, but to always have that desire to get better. I think that's a huge thing that internal, like nobody else has to tell you to improve, but you're always looking to better yourself, whether it's reading something, watching something, going out and practicing that constant desire and kind of um, dissatisfaction with where you currently are, uh, as well as the discipline to do it regularly. I mean, the reality is to be great at anything. It's not a short-term effort. It's a repeated effort day in, day out for a period of years and years. So a lot of that goes into like, you have to have some joy in terms of what you do, but really you have to be disciplined to like do that daily work. Um, and then the self-belief thing I think is really important. It's not just being confident in that. It's that underlying core knowledge that if you do that stuff every day, that you can be the professional you watched on TV, or you can be the absolute best in the world at something. And if you don't believe that, it doesn't matter what outside coaches tell you, what the media says, and any of that, and vice versa, even if someone tells you you can't do it, or uh, someone doesn't believe in you, or there are haters out there, whatever it is, if you have that belief, that will keep you going. And I think that those three things really, like it's the best summary I ever heard of the things necessary to be great at whatever you do. And I think that like almost every single player at the top level ha is, is very, um, ha has like high ranking in all three of those categories. No, it's so valuable how you discuss about self-belief and, and what it takes to really, really be at that level. And 
you know, there's, I call it the molding years, the younger years. And I, I, I believe you posted something on it on the, the Robin Van Persie podcast I was going on. That was a great podcast where there is a certain age where, yes, kids have self-belief, everything, but we're still trying to find ourselves. You know, those, those ages, if it's high school, if it's middle school, if it's younger than that, we're trying to fit in. We're trying to find it. How, how vital... How vital, if we're transitioning still in the mindset, the role the parent plays, the role the parent plays, more important in my opinion, but I want you to kind of dissect on it too, and the coach, because the parent is actually your soul, soul, soul believer. How vital is that in both ways? Meaning if you're coming home, maybe the parent doesn't believe in sports, and you're always trying to, that's your love and passion. They only believe in academics. And they're like, there is no career in this. You're only going to do this for this just to stay in shape. But then after, you're stopping and going there. But they don't want to stop. They have huge potential. Everybody sees it. What are the recommendations and the role parents play? And if what I want to say is basically, if you observe something that they're passionate in, how do you support it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, there's no right answer, obviously, exactly. Like if people have different parenting styles, I think. And also there are there are athletes or, or others who have gotten to the top of their field with no parent support and despite their parents. So I think we have to remember that too, is that it's not necessary to have, like I had two wonderfully supportive parents who drove me to everything and like worked really hard to say the right things and wanted me to, to like they wanted my goals for me just as I did and all of that. But, um, but that's not, that's not a must have. Like some people just don't have that upbringing. Their parents are at work or maybe they're raised by a single parent who doesn't have the time to engage with them on the sport and drive them to every practice. And that's the reality. I think actually the most detrimental thing that parents could do is actually to, to shield the, the kid or the soccer player in this sense. And this actually goes into a little bit of the Van Persie video, but to like give the kid excuses to shield them from criticism to, um, yeah, basically not allow them to navigate the process of being cut from a team. And then how do you respond? Or, uh, you know, dealing with a, a coach who tells you some feedback you don't want to hear. Those things quite often, the parents who think they're doing a good job by telling the kid, oh no, that coach is wrong. Like they're the worst or you're better than Susie. Why did you not play instead of her? Like that's more detrimental than a parent just not saying anything or not being involved, to be really honest. So to provide a crutch for your kid and, and let your kid think of excuses before taking the ownership, I think is the most detrimental thing a parent can do. Whereas vice versa, whether it's through being involved and encouraging your player to um, handle things in, in a mature way, to take responsibility for their own development and getting better, or whether it's through because you take a backseat because you don't know about sports, you don't appreciate sports, whatever it is, and let them figure that out. Honestly, either way, that's that's pretty much the best thing you can do. Because at the end of the day, uh, you can push your kid, you can get them into college to play this game or whatever. But if they don't love it, the second they're out of your house, um, if they don't love it and they don't enjoy it and they don't have the motivation, they're not going to do it for much longer once they leave your house. And they're probably not going to have anything to do with it after that time. So I think it's like looking at the big picture of the lessons you're teaching them and hopefully you're helping them to instill a joy in what they do, but also some type of um, 
ownership over it so that when they're not in your house, they still, they want to drive themselves to practice or they want to go work hard. And it's not just because you made them or you told them uh, that they, they have to, if they want dinner or whatever it was. (laughs) It's such a fascinating topic with parent involvement. And I totally agree. I mean, I think, I don't know what it is. And I want to get your perspective on it. It feels like that our, our society, our culture, I don't know if it's the technology, we became a little softer um, than before. And I know I don't agree with how it was back then where coaches used to be ruthless like no others. But I think it feels like we've gone on the other part where any, like coaches at the youth level, not maybe college because they're shielded out, but at the youth level, they feel like they have to give in because they might not get their paycheck. They might not get paid. What is it your take? Is it the pay-to-play model? What is it that we've transitioned in this kind of mindset where parents feel like they got to shield it? Yeah, you know, it's hard to tell. It's, and it's hard to tell what's changed over the years because a, a lot of what's happened is positive. Like there's a lot more programming. Coaches are more educated. It's not always just a parent coaching. You have like professional coaches at a lot of levels. So I kind of think that we maybe overdid some balance there with like, you know, before me and when I was coming up through the system, there, there were a lot, like good coaches and good clubs, but there wasn't, you know, there wasn't that much opportunity. I was the only girl in an all boys team when I was younger because I didn't want to drive an hour and a half to the local elite club. Uh, we usually had practice two times a week and one game on the weekend. We didn't travel a ton to go to big tournaments. So because of that, I had to take ownership and kind of figure out some of the rest. Um, whereas now, you know, there are so many clubs and so many opportunities. The kids have practiced. They're dropped off at practice three, four times a week. They have a game on the weekend. They, they're traveling and having these nice uniforms and things that like usually professional players would have. Um, so that the fields they're playing on are beautiful. And then if you don't get along with one coach at one club, you just transfer to the other club or switch teams. It's really easy to do that. So there's so many, um, so many resources for the players. It's almost like the experience is easy, not because we've tried to make it soft, but just because like if one coach doesn't like you, you just play for another coach. You don't have to figure it out because you'd have to drive two hours to go play for the other coach. So I think they're just uh, there's so much opportunity now that it's almost made it a little bit too easy on the players and the families to, um, you know, to, to have the experience that they're having. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it is a tough one. I mean, it's promising because even with all of that, the, the game is growing. Um, the players are better. The coaching is better. Um, on both women and um, men's in the U.S. I think it's really growing a lot of exciting stuff. And this is where I want to get into our next part because some of the exciting part you're behind with um, Techni Football app. And especially during this time, I mean, if you told me before March that this is we're going to be entering a world like this, especially in the soccer world, especially in the sports world, I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't believe it. But now we're, we're what we're in and um, you see parents, you see kids in today's world. I think that's the most thing. As adults, we're trying to manage and we're trying to maximize moments like this. But as kids, you're really, if you're forced to go online, the activity part, what, is it going to be the same? I want to see what is it that, you know, if you put yourself in their shoes that you recommend in this time to maximize so you're bypassing your competition 
If we can also, from there, transition into your um, Tech Me Football app and the resources that offers for kids to be more about aware about, and what are the stuff that should be the priority in this stage where there is no official competitions that these parents, as well as the children, can know more about to become better? Yeah. You know, it's really tough. I think, you know, even all the great things that you can do on your own uh, at home, which is what I'm all about, they're really intended to be a supplement. So, uh, you know, you're doing that a couple of times a week. And even if you only had one practice with a team, at least you get to try out the things you're, you're working on. And it kind of renews your motivation to go work on your own. So I've never been in a situation personally where I'm literally isolated for months and months. So I can't even imagine, you know, the emotional toll it does, does take on the players. But, but that being said, I still think um, my main advice is to to do something manageable that you feel like uh, has longevity. So that's like kind of what I'm all about. Is like if you're you want to whether it's one you want to eat healthy, you want to get in a regular practice routine, whatever it is, do something you almost feel like is so easy to accomplish that there's no reason you wouldn't do it. So if that means that you want to commit to just ten minutes a day of skill work or uh, set up a routine where you're doing something three times a week and you have the same routine every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and each day you have a focus that you work on and then you track your improvement over time. Things like that, I think, are easy to repeat because you get in a habit and it's easier then to do it than to not do it. If you go out and you're trying to train three hours a day every day, you're probably going to burn out and then you're going to need some days off and then it's hard to start again. So for me, the more regular you can make whatever it is you're committing to do uh the better and then you know transitioning into what technique football is is it's basically a guide to help players do that um and that's it's a it's very much based on my core belief of like how you should approach your training so it's giving players the blueprint to have a time trial test that they could test themselves on every friday to see if they improved uh and it gives them a training streak that they can measure in the app so they can do 10 minutes of training in the app it gives them all the ideas for the drills so it's like their blueprint of what to do and they can pick their 10 minutes a day in there and actually see their training streak go up over time so i think really um it's about the consistency. That's like for anything you want to get better at, um, the more regularly you do it and the, for the longer period, the more you're going to improve. So there are ways that players can during this time have fun and exciting things to work on that are challenging where they can even challenge their teammates to on the leaderboards and the app to see who has a better score. So it doesn't have to be uh, totally isolated. It can still be competitive. It's just not going to be the same feel as obviously showing up for a game or a group practice session. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you tell a lot of uh, players, like some of the talented ones too. They're like, I live for the games. Like the mo, you can't. There is, there is. You can't tell me there's no, any app, anything that can ever complement or resemble the game within itself. I mean, the purity, even in the backyard, in the streets, when you even travel the world and you see kids playing in the streets of that, because of th- this kind of situation, you really have handicapped the most joyous moment that this beautiful game offers and it brings different cultures together within the game from different countries from this and they're interacting they're making friendship that's what it's about and i think that's that's the biggest thing that i think you hit it you hit the hammer on the nail is you can't you can't complement that but you can Look at the stuff that you can do individually and adapt to it, obviously. I mean, it is, this is not only for certain sections, it's everywhere in the world. Um, 
What I want to get into next is your app has really taken off and it has really shown so much. Sometimes it takes off. There's no value behind substance, but yours has so much value behind its substance and it's so vital. And I, and I think it's so pivotal in enhancing our beautiful game within our nation here. I want to kind of discuss how did you come about this? Like, I know you played it at all level. After your transition, what made you create this um, for like our viewers listening? And then what is it that personally, if you, if you um, click on that you, you love the most personal on your app? Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate that. Um, I think, you know, to give a little bit of context, I actually, I launched Techni while I was still playing professionally. And mm. it kind of was a, a little bit of a spin off of what I was already doing. I was sharing a lot of training ideas and training progressions on YouTube, on social media. And I realized that people wanted that. They want a blueprint to follow. But also I thought, well, let me give them a way to actually track and connect with other people in a community. So there's like all these people out here doing this training on their own who have the same passion I do for like fine tuning parts of the game and getting better. But like, there's not really a unified way to connect them all into this system. So what the app did was it took all the training ideas and it created a system where there's a new training session each week and you can track your progress and you're part of our training sock system, which is like the belt system in martial arts. So you're, you're part of this bigger community and system. You connect with other people on leaderboards. And so really um, the app itself came from my desire to connect what I was already doing and really passionate about sharing um, and, and put it all in one place for everybody to come who also is passionate about that. Um, so that kind of gives it some context, but it's it's certainly a work in progress. Like we're, we're working on it constantly. There's always new features, new training being added, which is very much also in line with who I am and like how I view anything I do. So I really have approached this in the same way that I approach everything I do. I'm always working on it, always making it better. I'm really proud that people are using it all over the world, but I want to make it even better for the people using it and hopefully continue to get more people using it. Um, my favorite part. Ooh. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I love, like, I still do the, the training in there is what I do. That's like who I am. It's not made up for other people. There's no magic behind it. It's literally what I've done over the years and what I find exciting to do myself. Um, but I think probably the coolest part of the app, if I were just to open the app where I like to go first is I go and look at the leaderboard. Um, because it is so cool. You can literally see players from all over the world and how much they're using it and how consistently, like we have somebody with over a thousand day training streak, uh, a female player in Hawaii who have actually, I met once actually and trained her in person before there was a Techni app and she, uh, lives far away. So when the second the app came out, she started using it. And for me to see that, to see that list of players and how dedicated they are to their training uh, is is such a cool feeling. Uh, and I feel like I'm almost like their personal coach or mentor, but remotely. So for me, that's one of the most rewarding things I, I look at always is the, the leaderboards. No, for sure. For sure. So Yale, this has been a this has been truly an absolute pleasure. I want to kind of transition to one of our um last question that kind of opens up with different dialogues within it. It's one of the uh, my favorite ones that I'd like to throw our, our guests is kind of talking about the game and getting in the roots of you as the, as the guest is 
what is your favorite team of all time? What is your favorite player of all time? And I want to, and I want to get into not restricting you. If you have a couple, that's fine. If it's one from soccer, one from basketball, it's fine. And I want the reason I want to give all of that freedom and say all time any sports as many as you want is it allows you to give us the moments. One might have been because you're growing up, maybe you're from UNC, you're in that area, and it's the the Michael Jordan teams, or if you love during your era, you love that Barcelona team, whatever it is, I want to kind of get into and kind of elaborate why you are a fan of those. Yeah. Um, so you, you did, you uh, mentioned one of mine. So I think for me, you know, growing up, I, I learned the game from a lot of uh, people from different countries around the world. And I often played with men and boys. And so my experience in the game was more than just like my own playing with my own friends from, from school. And um, I have a huge appreciation for the game played in a certain style, a very collaborative style with a lot of small passing. Like I'm not a very individual style player. So for me watching like FC Barcelona and the, the style that was really like, adopted there that club to me is representative of um of a certain beautiful way of playing that i like feel it when i when i watch and you know it's interesting i'm not a i'm the worst uh supporter of a club like if barcelona started playing an ugly style like i wouldn't support that club i I don't have a and it sounds bad but i don't have an allegiance to a Mm -hmm. specific club i like teams that play in a way that i find to be beautiful and what to me is most beautiful about the game is is con- the connection uh and being able to everybody being their best but connecting together and to me like the the best examples i can think of are like the barcelona that we, we see when they're just ticking and everything's going well and um you know i could over time some of my favorite players kind of represent that beautiful style of play, but in different ways, like Zidane uh, or, you know, Xavi, Iniesta, to me, those are the the connectors of, of the game. And uh, actually, quick story to kind of cap this off is that um, Messi for me, like he's not, he's not a style of player who I would usually like, but he embodies like the impossible. He, he just, to me, is another level of like what I'm watching is so unbelievable. And so my dad and I, always said that we wanted to go uh, watch him play live in Barcelona while he was still in the prime of his career. So we, we went, we got, uh, somebody helped us out with some tickets to a Champions League game, Barca against PSG, which is like, mm. like the biggest treat you could get. And so we thought, you know what, if we're anywhere in the stadium, even like the top row, this is like, we get to be in the stadium and watch this game. And we had no idea where our tickets were. And so we went and we were in like the, the fourth row. We were literally on the field level. And I honestly, I was so, I was emotional, first of all. And I, I don't think I've ever watched a game more closely. I didn't look away for one second and it almost, it spoiled me so bad because like no game has ever felt so good and so beautiful as what I saw. It was like, imagine whatever you see on TV. And to me, it was like 500 times better to see it live. It was so beautiful. It's like art basically. And so to me, that's what, uh, Barca represents, you know, when they're, when they're doing their thing and playing well. I love it how we got into that story because I want to kind of get into that story a little bit more. And like I played in, I played in Iran. Okay. At the highest level, but that's not even close to Europe. We can even say someone played in this country. There's levels to levels to levels. And 
I want to know when you went to that game and you played on the female side at the highest level that U.S. offers, when you're observing that game, what is it that's standing out? You're like, whoa, whoa, the speed. Whoa, this, this connection here, the fluidity, the quality of the players. What is it that really was standing out to you in that game? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's... Uh, probably everything to be honest I mean to me yeah I totally agree with you I think you know I've played at that that with the best female players in the game I've also played with uh guys who are like unknowns who to me are the best players I've ever stepped on the field with um and guys who play in like USL or MLS who I've been fortunate to play with um over the years who are are the best players I've ever played with another another level um from any of the, the women I play with just just you know, because of, of who they are and where they've played and the speed at which they can do things and their proficiency and, and how they play the game. And then, yeah, like you said, you know, then you could go to, you could go to various countries and look at like national teams. You could go to Europe as a whole and see like the quality there. This was like the best of the best in the universe. Like literally to me, the best, the best players, meaning like the best athletes, the best on the ball, doing things so quickly, so fluidly, so naturally of of anybody that's ever played this game. And so, as you said, it wasn't just watching a professional game. It was watching like the magicians of the sport to me who go beyond the the normal skills that we can all do and can do things. So, I mean, just the speed at which they hit the ball and and the fluidity with which they move and the timing of things was like, uh, it's like you could have all the same ingredients in another way, but like the way they put it together was something different. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, when I when I was younger, obviously you're watching it from a distance on the TV. There's a different appreciation. You're like, I can be there one day. I can work hard. As I'm working hard, I'm like, hmm, I'm I'm beating them. I'm beating them. I bypass them. I bypass them. As I look back, I'm like, man, Ronaldinho was something else. Messi was something else. Cristiano Ronaldo is something else. I mean, they are the tip of the arrow and to perform at the highest the way they did. And to be fair, I grew up as a Ronaldinho fan and to this day I still am just because of what he was able to do to those best of the best players. It's insane now when you think about it. at the speed they're going, they water the field, so it's going super fast to be able to stop it on a dime, flick it over. I mean, that's, that's at a different level of magician. I mean, I, I think that one, like the Messi's and Ronaldinho, those kind, I think you were born to really, really be in. I mean, there's no way you, you were going to miss that boat. There's those exceptions. And um, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I agree with you on the Barcelona. I think, what was it? Two, was it 2008? I think it was in 2008 to 2012, they really, Pep Guardiola and that group really changed the game. I mean, yeah. which, which, uh, which game did you go to? What year was it? Yeah, so no, I'm on the same page as you with, with that feeling. Uh, you know, I was trying to remember when you're saying those years. It might have been 2013-ish, and it was a Champions League game. I can't remember. I could I could find the exact game after, but I don't remember the exact uh, year and what game it was. It was actually this will give it some context, so you might know. It was I think we saw Suarez's first goal for Barca. 
but yeah, I agree. I think there's, there's something, um, there's all the things we know you can work on as a player. You can get fast, you can get fit, you can perfect moves, you can strike the ball well. And then there's something extra that some players have that's like an instinct, a timing, uh, ability to do some magic that that's not the stuff you work like that comes some, somehow else. That's not what you just uh, go in your backyard and perfect. <laughs> And I know like there's a couple of the female athletes you played with like a like a like a Tobin Heat, yourself. I mean, you guys you guys like those players, like the Ronaldinhos, like the Messi's. And those players, I mean, literally, I mean, Ronaldinho was the poor of the poor. Maradona was like poor, poor, poor in the streets. And we call it like those players were created in the streets. Do you think those players can be not only created in the streets is it possible like i'm talking about that kind that 10 that real magician is it possible um if we're kind of gonna bring it full circle if it's through the technique apps if it's through structure training or does someone need to take their kid to brazil or something it's like go play for one year in the streets and then you bring what is that secret ingredient in your uh, in your uh, perspective yeah so you I mean I, I obviously don't know I, I i've done a little bit of reading about about this though and i think the reality is what the streets create is an amount of time that players are playing in a certain environment mm. so like the players it's not that they happen to be in the street it was that they were out playing a basically a small sided environment where they were free to create magic and it was really competitive uh for hours and hours and hours every day probably because that was their way out and they were good at it and and so to me um if you're able to create if you have competitive environments where you're playing i, I think there's a combination of factors that make what gets what happens in the streets of some of those countries really valuable one it's the amount of time that players spend playing because there's no start or end to practice you play all night if you want uh it's the, the amount you're touching the ball so you're not on a field in your playing position playing seven aside or eight aside you're you're playing you know four or five six whoever shows up sometimes two against two so you're you're getting a lot of a lot more action on the ball and, and off the ball and i think too like there's the combination of the ruthless competitiveness so maybe you're a kid playing with adults who are gonna if you embarrass them they're gonna you know <laughs> try to break your leg or something but also there's the freedom to like there's no coach telling you so you figure it out you figure out how to be successful so i think for players like you can replicate pieces of that certainly in environments you can organize pickup games you can have small-sided games at training sessions with teams and clubs and invite players at different ages and levels but it's it's just very hard to replicate you would need all those aspects of that environment put into your youth development um which you can do but it's uh it happens naturally other places here we try to make all the parts of it separately which can work but it's it's a little bit fake <laughs> yeah and i think some coaches feel like because they're getting paid if they're not talking and just letting them play they're not doing their job so it's feel it, it feels like if they're joysticking they're doing more of their job but it's kind of like doing less is doing more and you know this as a player too if you were in those um were you you're a center midfielder correct yes yeah. for most of my career i also <laughs> i ended up as a center back <laughs> but in that central role you kind of try to figure out ways to do less. You try to figure out ways to do less, let the ball do more and doing more in the mind and um, kind of get your teammates. Up. And I think that's the kind of the tug of war we get um, 
and but it's growing. I think we are really implementing to give the game to the players. I think we, the the modern game is evolving with. You can say Barcelona being a driving force. You can say Joan Cruyff. You can say these other players. But it is allowing coaches to really promote giving the game to the players, taking it in training, and in game time, you know, it's mainly motivating, encouraging, not telling them exactly what to do and trusting their um, players being problem solvers. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it is like a feel for the game and just figuring out how to be successful. So to me, the best coaches I've ever had set up a game situation Mm -hmm. where it's like you're keeping score and to win the game, you have to solve the problem. There's no, like, they're not going to give you the answer. Oh, pass here, run here. Like you have to figure it out or you have to figure out how to keep the ball. If it's possession, you need to get 10 passes. We'll figure it out. Are they short passes? Are they long passes? Where do you need to go? And so you'll just lose and lose and lose unless you figure it out. And I think that's the key is that um, creating an environment where it, it helps the players to figure it out by, by creating practice sessions that mimic the game or certain aspects. So you can guide them to figure it out by the, what they need to do to be successful. But at the end of the day, if you're telling them the plays, you're, I mean, that's not how this game, that's not how the game works. So you're, they're going to get to a new environment or get on the big field when they can't hear you on the sideline. Or even if they do hear you, it's too late to process the information. And then it's, you know, that success is impossible. No. And again, it's been so great talking to you. I think the dialogue has been so great into going into different variations of the beautiful game. Um, what I want to do and what we do with most of our guests is give the platform to you. And I want you to discuss whatever you have going on within, uh, if it's application or any other foundations or any collaborations you're working on that you want to tie in. Um, we want to give the floor to you to close this out. And then we go on our way. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I feel I feel motivated now from thinking about uh, you know the style of play that I love and stuff. Um, no, I think really uh, if if anybody wants to learn a little bit more about me and what I do or support the things that I'm working on, um, the NWSL Players Association is one piece of of my role. So the women's league uh, supporting the players and helping to grow that league. So, you know, if you're uh, a fan of the game you and you didn't see the tournament that just happened with the NWSL, you missed out on something, but there will hopefully be more coming up this year. Um, as well as, you know, we talked about technique football. If you're a player, you can download the app and try it. We have a one week totally free. Um, or if you're a coach and you want to offer it to your players, you can find out more on our website or get in touch. Really what we're trying to do through that is to, change the culture of uh, what's expected of youth players in this country and to put some of the burden on them to do do the work at home or be thinking about what they should be doing at home on their own time away from the group sessions. So hopefully, uh, you know, it's it's tough to shift a culture, but I think that has to be part of the thought process of the players. What are they doing at home? Are they watching the game? Are they playing on their own? Are they setting up small games to play with their friends? And the ha- that's, you know, a huge part of why I love the sport so much as I do and, and we'll play for many, many years to come. And I'm hoping other people kind of are able to feel that as well. No, fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs>